afternoon, we are looking at what Scripture teaches regarding the incarnation of the Son of God as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 14 of the Catechism. This is concerning God's only begotten Son, Lord's Day 14. What do you confess when you say he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? The eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself true human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the working of the Holy Spirit. Thus he is also the true seed of David, and like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? He is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness, covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. Thus far, the reading of the Catechism. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you think of when you hear the word doctrine? The word doctrine. Maybe you think dry, dusty, boring, some facts to stick in our head. Maybe the the younger members think of memorizing catechism for, for catechism class. It's not always that fun, is it? One thing I want to impress upon you this afternoon is that doctrine is not just facts to stick into our brain. The goal of learning doctrine is always worship. Worship. Doctrine is meant to lead us to doxology, the praise of God, that we might glorify God more, that we might stand in awe of Him more, and that we might love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. That's the goal of doctrine. One danger we face is that we can get so used to hearing the the central truths of the Christian faith that they no longer impress us. Right? We've heard it all before. And I hope, I sincerely hope, that never happens to you. Right? That, That certainly comes to mind also with the gospel truth we will be looking at this afternoon. I hope you never stop being amazed at the incarnation of the Son of God. Now, what is the incarnation of the Son of God? That's a big word. We don't really use it outside of a church context. Some people might label it Christianese. Uh, But the incarnation of the Son of God simply refers to the eternal Son of God taking a upon himself a real human nature. 
The incarnation is summarized by the simple statement in the Nicene Creed that the Son of God was made man. That's the incarnation. The Son of God was made man. That's the truth we'll be looking at this afternoon. And we will see that in the miracle of the incarnation, there are actually three miracles at play. Three miracles we're going to consider. The incarnation is a threefold miracle. And each of them describes a beautiful part of our salvation. And each of them is meant to lead us to worship our God. So as I preach you God's word this afternoon, I'll do so under the following theme and points. Stand in awe of God for the threefold miracle of the incarnation. We'll look at first miracle number one, the virgin shall conceive. Miracle number two, the man without sin. And miracle number three, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So the first miracle involved in the incarnation of the Son of God is described for us in Matthew 1. Verse 18 says that Mary and Joseph were betrothed to be married. Although it's not quite equivalent, it's quite similar to our engagement. They were betrothed. But before they were married or experienced any physical union, Mary was found to be with child by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the, the Holy Spirit reached into Mary's womb, as it were, reached into her body. And even though she never had union with Joseph or any man, she became pregnant. Suddenly there was a child there by God's power. As the angel said to Joseph in his dream, what is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. So that's the first miracle. God created this new life by a simple act of his power. Now, there are many people in this world who scoff at something like the virgin conception and birth of Christ. Well, they say, how is that even possible? You know, they, everyone wants everything explained scientifically. And if we can't explain it scientifically, can we really believe it? That's how people think. What does that show but a person's beliefs? It's showing that they believe the material, physical world is all there is, that ironclad laws govern the universe and there's no breaking them. It shows they simply don't believe in the power of God who created everything. See, a miracle like this is simply God upholding the world in a different way than he normally does. Right? He, he chose to uphold the world in a different way than he normally does. And that's true of this miracle too. God simply worked outside the normal pattern of creation. And he himself prepared the body and soul of Jesus apart from the working of any man. And that's one thing this miracle is meant to impress upon us, apart from the working of any man. This miracle of God the Holy Spirit shows us so clearly that our salvation is from God 
and not from man. Man had no part in it. Did not come from his power at all. It's all of God. That's also why it leads us to stand in awe of God for this miracle. It shows his power, his saving work for us. So salvation is from God and not from man. The Savior came into the world apart from the working of man. Humans cannot save themselves. We cannot save ourselves. We're powerless to create a Savior. See, out of the millions and billions of conceptions through the working of men before Jesus Christ, not one of those conceptions could create a Savior for us. So we see in this miracle, to God alone belongs all glory and praise. Salvation was locked away in heaven, as it were, in the power and hand of God. Yes, the Holy Spirit created the human nature of Christ from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary. That was a privilege for her. But she was entirely passive in this event. Right? She didn't do anything. She was only acted on by God. And that's a picture of salvation. God graciously comes to humans with his power to save. Where would we be if God did not act like that? We would be without hope. God could have kept salvation away from us. No, nope, you're not getting it. But in his love, he gave us a savior. If I could borrow some well-known words. For God so loved the world that he conceived our savior in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. Right? That, that was God's work. Let me impress that glorious truth upon you this afternoon. God came to people who rebelled against him, who made themselves deserving of punishment. He gave a Savior. So stand in awe of him. Remember what God has done. Love your God. See what he has done to save you. That's miracle number one. That brings us to miracle number two, the man without sin. So the, the second miracle is this. The person that was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary was without sin. Sinless. See, why was it that, that humans were incapable of producing a Savior? It's because of human sin. We have a sinful nature. When Adam and Eve sinned, their nature became corrupt. Our nature became corrupt. They passed that corrupt nature down to future generations. Right? David confesses, I was conceived in iniquity. So all of us here are conceived and born in sin. And so none of us have the power to create a human life that is sinless. Listen to, listen to what Job says in Job 14. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? There is not one. That's ultimately true of human beings. We made ourselves unclean before God. 
So we cannot produce a child without sin. And left in that situation, where would we be? We would all have that bleak perspective of Job in Job 14. Now, when, you, when we read that chapter, perhaps you thought in your mind, wow, what a cheery chapter this is. I'm sure glad we read this good news here in church this afternoon. It's such a bleak perspective that Job gives. Right? And Job was depressed. Yet, even so, in this chapter, Job gives a true description of the hopelessness of life apart from God's salvation. In Job 14, Job gives a true picture of man stuck in sin, without hope. This is what he says. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. God has made limits that man cannot pass. There's hope for a tree that's cut down. Right? Its roots can go to the water. Can, new life can arise out of the stump. But humans don't even have that hope. When a man dies and is laid low, and when he breathes his last, where is he? As a river wastes away and dries up, so a man lies down and rises not again. See, without a Savior, we would be completely trapped in that hopeless perspective. And that, that perspective is true even for those who are strong today the strongest in this, wor- in this world. You know, I think of some of the, the athletes of our time, the Usain Bolts, the Cristiano Ronaldos, uh, you name it, the list can go on and on. But even the strongest athlete is going to go the way of Job 14 if he doesn't have a Savior, if she doesn't have a Savior. It's true of us all. Here is where the miracle of the incarnation shines again. Here we have the man without sin, Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit not only created new life, but ensured that Jesus had no original sin. He was undefiled. His nature was completely clean. Job asked in Job 14, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. That's true of man. But what is impossible for man is possible with God. Jesus Christ is the only truly righteous man who has ever lived. And that's why our only hope of salvation is in him and in him alone. Any other person cannot save us. Think, think again of Job 14. Job describes the bleak life of man because of sin. And Christ, he walked that pathway described by Job. He was, a, he was born. And immediately he saw days full of trouble, right? Right after he was born, what did he have to do? He had to, he had to flee to Egypt. Someone wanted to kill him, Herod. Days full of trouble. He walked the pathway of pain and suffering, as Job describes. 
He walked it all the way to death. And He walked it for us. For our salvation, to pay for our sins, and to give us new life. To take our punishment that we deserved. And because Christ was conceived without sin, and then lived without sin, He overcame death. Death could not keep its grip on him. Job had said, as, as waters fail from a lake and a river wastes away and dries up, so a man lies down in death and rises not again. Of course, that was not true of Christ. He was the one who was raised up. And he was the man who was without sin. And so he lived because of that. Because of his righteousness. And that's why the despairing picture of Job in Job 14 finally gives way to the picture of hope and of faith in Job 19. In Job 19, the Holy Spirit enlightened the eyes of Job's heart so that he could come out of his despair. And he could say in faith, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold, and not another. Job could make that statement of faith because of the miracle of the Incarnation. In Christ, we have the man without sin. So in Christ, we have the man who overcame death. And he is our Redeemer. We can make that same statement of faith as Job. Lord's Day 14 puts it like this. What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? He is our mediator. And with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. By faith, we have clothed ourselves with Christ, the sinless one. We have his righteousness, and we can come into the presence of God. So let me say again to you, beloved, stand in awe of your God. Love him. Worship him. See what he's done for you in Jesus Christ. He is our God. It brings us to miracle number three. So miracle number one was the creation of human life in the womb of Mary. Miracle number two is that this human was conceived without sin. Miracle number three of the incarnation is this. The person inside Mary's womb was not just a man but also God. In Jesus Christ, we have one person who's true man and true God. The Nicene Creed puts it well. Again, the Son of God was made man. Or the Athanasian Creed puts it this way. He is perfect God. He is perfect God, perfect man, composed of a human soul and human flesh. Equal to the Father in respect of his divinity, less than the Father in respect of his humanity. 
who although he is God and man, is nevertheless not two, but one Christ. So that is our Savior. Now we read something of that in Matthew chapter 1. Listen to verses 21 to 23. The angel appeared to Joseph and said, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. He's not just a man, but also God. And that means that, that God himself, the Son of God, who is equal to the Father in respect to his divinity, really walked upon the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Doesn't that stun you? Doesn't that amaze you? True God walking on the earth in the person of Christ. John 1 verse 14 says, The Son of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Or as we could literally translate it, He became flesh and tabernacled among us. Just as God dwelt among His people in the Old Testament tabernacle, so the Son of God dwelt upon the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. Be amazed at your God. Never let doctrine be, be changed only to a, into a concept. It drive you to worship. Who would not want to worship this God? And think about what we sang from Psalm 8 before the sermon. Stanza one, O Lord, our Lord, yours be all adoration. How glorious is your name in all creation. You have displayed your majesty on high. Your glory reaches far above the sky. And stanza three, Lord, when my gaze upon the heavens lingers, on moon and stars, the work of your own fingers, what is man that you should think of him, the son of man that you should care of him? When David looked up into the sky and he, he just saw the, the immense beauty and majesty and glory and the 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 vastness of the universe, and it just reminded him of the infinite majesty of God. And then he, he thinks about himself and says, who am I? I'm just this tiny dot on this planet. Who am I that, that my God should think of me? Well, who are we that the Son of God should become one of us? The infinite God took upon himself a finite human nature. He joined himself to your human nature. And that's the greatest miracle of all. Think of the implications of this. Hebrews 1 says, The Son of God upholds the universe by the word of his power. And that's true when he was on, on earth too. And so the Son of God was sustaining the universe even as those nails kept his body nailed to the cross. Right? He was sustaining those nails. He was sustaining that cross. And yet there he was, hanging on that cross for us. Or think about what we confess in Article 19 of the Belgian Confession about the two natures of Christ. 
These two natures are so closely united in one person that they were not even separated by his death. Now, that does not mean that his divine nature died on the cross. No, only his human nature died. But as Article 19 goes on, it says, Therefore, what he, when dying, committed into the hands of his father was a real human spirit that departed from his body. When Christ died, it says he, he gave up his spirit, and that was his human spirit. Meanwhile, his divinity always remained united with his human nature, even when he was lying in the grave. Isn't that amazing? The Son of God would do that for you, for your salvation. Even while he was lying in the grave, his divine nature was in, remained united with his human nature. And the Son of God, after he was raised, did not discard his humanity after his resurrection and ascension, saying, well, I've, I've saved humanity, I can get rid of this uh, finite human nature now, I'm so glad I'm getting rid of it. No! When he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he was taking upon himself our human nature forever. He will never discard that human nature, not in, in all eternity. He has it forever. That is such an amazing fact, I cannot begin to describe it to you. What do we see in all this? miracle of the incarnation we see a number of things first of all see the goodness of creation right the created world is not evil not even a necessary evil no it's good son of god willing to join himself to creation and in light of that we can enjoy creation we can give thanks for it but even more importantly in the in the miracle of the incarnation we see so clearly the amazing love of God. This is what God has done for you. Christ taking upon himself our nature to save us. Think about that in your life. Don't you want to worship him for that? It's his amazing love. And in this we see that that God wants to have fellowship with his people. Remember, the Son of God will keep his human nature forever. So think about eternal life when we're there. Right? We're going to be there one day on a new heavens and a new earth. Think about that. You will have fellowship with God. And that will happen uniquely and wonderfully through the person of Jesus Christ. Right? You can talk to your God in the person of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? What will it be like? Well, we don't know completely, but it will be amazing. Revelation 21 even says this about the new Jerusalem. The Apostle John says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb 
are its temple. We will dwell in that temple. What will, be, what will that be like? Again, I, I don't know completely. I think words would fail to describe it. But it will be wonderful. And it's made possible through this miracle of the Incarnation. So, beloved, remember the great truths of the faith. Remember your doctrine. Memorize it, study it, love it. Love your God. Never lose sight how great a privilege it is to hear these things and believe them. God is our awesome God. He's the one who saves. May all glory and praise go to him. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing together hymn 24, the stanzas 1, 2, 5, and 6.